All right, hello everyone, and welcome to the latest installment of H2 Tech Talk, the podcast series by H2 Tech, the Hydrogen Technology Journal from Gulf Energy Information. I'm Tyler Campbell, Managing Editor for H2 Tech, and your host for this week's H2 Tech Talk. Today, we have a very special guest. Uh, we are joined by Matt Murdoch, CEO of Raven SR. How's it going today, Matt? Very well. Thank you so much for having us on your show today. Oh, anytime. Um, so let's just get, we could get started with the first question. Um, uh, can you please give us a bit of background information about Raven SR? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, so Raven SR is a technology that was originally developed um, back in the 1980s and 90s by my second cousin, Dr. Terry Galloway, who uh, was working on a solution to uh, incineration. Um, he was an environmental scientist as well as a chemical engineer and really wanted to find a new way to process waste. And so he developed what we call steam CO2 reforming um, and had several commercial systems operating on a small scale back in the 80s and 90s, um, primarily just focused on waste elimination. Um, at one point in time, back in 2015, he and I were talking and he's like, hey, Matt, why aren't they using this out where you live here, taking natural gas and converting it into diesel? And I'm like, what are you talking about, Terry? Um, and so, you know, one thing led to another and um, we got involved and we began developing it and uh, created Raven SR um, and actually uh, pivoted from kind of just doing, being a waste company to actually being a renewable fuels company is how we see ourselves. Um, so we can take multiple different kinds of feedstock and produce multiple different kinds of fuel and so, uh, you know, it's a technology that's been previously commercialized on a small scale, but is obviously uh, has some good history to it and ability to process lots of different different um, fuels. So the company started as a waste elimination and kind of developed over time into what it is now. Exactly. Yeah. So Galloway's focus was mostly on waste. And, uh, and as I became involved, we became much more of an energy or fuels company um, that just has the added advantage of using waste. Excellent. Okay, so what are some of the biggest misunderstandings about Raven that you would like to clear up? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, the big thing is, um, you know, we're not gasification and we're not really paralysis either. It's a, a, a new process. We have 16 patents at this point. Um, we can uh, process multiple different kinds of waste mixed at the same time and then into a really hydrogen rich syngas or you know, medium stage intermediate gas that we then use to build um, into different fuels. And so I think oftentimes people think that we're gasification or think of it as incineration. And it really is a different technology in the fact that we can process, if you will, a heterogeneous mix of wet waste um, is really unique within the industry and the ability to kind of either do sustainable aviation fuel or hydrogen or methanol um, with pretty much the same equipment is also fairly unique as well. So it always takes us a little time to explain that to people and what we can do and what we can't do. Very interesting, um, actually. So, okay, well, let's talk about some of your technology. Um, but, so what's unique about your steam CO2 reforming hydrogen production process and how exactly is it different from steam methane reforming? Yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, the way Dr. Galloway designed it is we have two reactors um, 
that you know if they're if we're processing solids to fuel then we have two reactors if we're just taking you know landfill gas or natural gas or rng we only use the second stage reactor and so you know directly i mean, steam methane reforming cannot process plastics it cannot process medical waste it cannot process uh, <laughs> uh, organic waste um, so whereas raven can do that and so um, we you know our first stage reformer heats it up. Um, we spend about 40 minutes uh, gasifying, if you will, or uh, de decomposing the, the solids into a, the gas. Um, that gas then goes to the second stage reformer where it's polished into the syngas that is about 60% hydrogen, 30% carbon monoxide. Um, it's about a two to one ratio, which is perfect for moving into Fischer-Tropsch reactor, or in this instance, as you're talking about going into water gas shift PSA, and then having a transportation grade hydrogen with 6.9 purity. Um, so, you know, the fact that we use steam um, is CO2. Um, we do not use any catalysts in the first two stages, which is very unique. Um, steam methane reforming does on a gas system. Um, we use no fresh water. We are actually using the steam that's coming from the wet waste itself. Um, it's low atmospheric and uh, there's no combustion. We actually exclude um, any free oxygen from the process so that it's kind of operating in a reductive chemistry. And all of those component parts together, both the thermal conversion as well as the chemical conversion, um, results in a very robust means of dealing um, with multiple different kinds of waste. Um, as I said, you know, Plastics will vaporize faster than some biogenics, so 45 minutes in the first process gives us the ability to fully process um, all the all that waste into the sin gas. And again, we don't use any fresh water. Um, and then, so you know, no, sorry. And then, <laughs> so the overall, we actually have a cold gas efficiency between the two reactors, which is very unique. Typically, gasification um, has a, a cold gas efficiency of about 65%. We actually have a cold gas efficiency of 95%. And then if you were to just say apples to apples, Raven SR versus steam methane reforming, um, we actually have a 97% conversion of the methane molecule, whereas steam methane reforming has usually 65, 70%. And so SMR will often repass the gas through several times. Whereas on first pass, we have a very high conversion of that methane molecule, which is a very difficult and uh, molecule to break apart. Um, a lot of energy in there. It's one of the reasons we use it in the energy industry. So yeah, I think that's probably some of the the biggest differences. And I, and then I, as I said, we don't use uh, any catalysts in that process either. What happens to the CO2 in this process? That's a good question. No, so you know, primarily because we're a non-combustion process, um, waste comes in, and again, that could be solid waste. It could be gaseous waste, so RNG or LFG um, goes in. Um, if it's a solid waste, we have a leftover biocarbon, very similar to biochar, um, which is kind of that solid carbon that drops out. And then we produce CO2 and we produce fuel. So on a, um, again, apples to apples, if you were just to say, hey, let's just take natural gas or renewable gas and convert it either through SMR or through Raven. Um, one, we have the higher conversion. Two, we actually produce half as much CO2 um, as SMR does. And uh, so we, we will have CO2, which then could be captured or reused or liquefied. That's going to just depend on your market. You know, you could actually do a power to liquids project alongside of it and have the CO2 go into a process there. Um, there's a lot of interesting technologies out there, as you know. So there's a lot of ways you can, you can take that and 
built use that as a component in another process. Fair enough. Okay, so what is the significance of Raven's um, organic waste to hydrogen bioenergy project? Oh, in so many different ways. I think, you know, I think one of the discussions that we often have is that, you know, we want to lower greenhouse gases, we want to lower CO2 emissions in the planet. Um, I think actually, people, if we thought about it a bit more, what we really want is we want a cleaner planet, right? So one way to get there is through clean fuels, which I think this is the big push is let's have cleaner fuels so that we are reducing our emissions there. Um, but what actually one of the largest uh, contributors to greenhouse gases is short-lived climate pollutants that are found in organic waste that's decomposing in landfills. So, you know, you have all this organic waste, whether it be plastic or biogenic, that's decomposing and that's producing. So, not to mention the fact that you have, you know, waste that's polluting surface water or waste that's polluting rivers and oceans. Uh, you never see a letter to the editor, as I tell people, ever saying, my landfill is the best landfill please give them an extra hundred acres so that they can take all my household trash. Nobody ever supports that. Everybody wants landfills to be quieter. They want them to smell less. They, you know, nobody ever thinks that you put the trash out on the front doorsteps and it's gone, that it involves a process. So actually when Raven can take, you know, solid organic waste and convert it to hydrogen, we're solving two problems at once, aren't we? We're helping solve a waste issue that's polluting our climate and our environment, as well as producing a clean fuel that's helping to reduce emissions, while at the same time doing it in a way that doesn't contribute additional emissions other than maybe CO2, which could be used or captured in another form. So there's a big significance. I think, you know, we also, we just recently completed our CEQA permitting in, in Northern California. Um, we did a health risk assessment as part of that process. Uh, CEQA requires a health risk assessment out to 1,000 feet. Um, we ended up going out to 6,000 feet and found that up to 6,000 feet away, um, the risk of cancer actually decreased when Raven was operating just because a lot of the landfill issues that are there are going to be mitigated by Raven's process. And so we actually are helping, uh, you know, a, a larger area just on, on the air quality. Um, so there's, a, I think, frankly, I think there's a lot of advantages there. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Because, I mean, if you can take waste, which is a, a huge deal, and convert it to hydrogen at the same time, then, I mean, you're certainly helping to clean up the environment, right? Exactly. And if you think about it, you know, if you think about where do we need clean fuels, it tends to be in areas where we have high population areas. Where do we find in high population areas? A lot of waste. So by processing the waste closer to home, we don't have to transport the waste. We don't have to transport the fuel. We can actually solve local problems with a, with a, with a local solution. So, you know, there's just a lot of benefits and waste is everywhere. Um, electrolysis needs clean water. I mean, the number of industries and spinoff industries that are developing ways to get cleaner water or better electrolyzers. Um, you know, we use a third of the electricity of electrolysis. Um, so, you know, much more efficient that way and no fresh water. So, you know, and in, in the broader spectrum, there's we need to have multiple solutions to this problem of producing clean energy. Absolutely. So are there any roadblocks in the way of, of building the facility and, you know, expanding the use of this technology? Uh, you know, I think there's always the question of, you know, you, you know, we're building our first commercial fuel system. As I said, Galloway had done several systems. 
where heat produced the hydrogen rich syngas and then they just generated electricity from that. We're actually producing fuels at this facility in Northern California. So, you know, there's always like, you know, what is this technology? You know, you know, a lot of questions about it, trying to understand it, um, you know, permitting. Permitting is always probably one of the biggest problems and getting that through. And permitting can be complicated. You know, a process is supposed to take four weeks that ends up taking six weeks. Um, so there's a lot of challenges there to get those kind of those projects built. And then meanwhile, we've been doing it post COVID and, you know, global market changes and global supply challenges. I mean, I hear it's, it's really difficult to get things built in California. So <laughs> I, I have to ask, did the California Environmental Quality Act help it all, help it all with the facility? You know, it's, it is interesting, right? We, we, we purposely went in with our eyes mostly wide open um, to California because we believe that we have probably one of the greenest methods of producing clean fuels. As I said, we're solving two problems at once. And to do that project in California, which is probably one of the most regulated environmental states in North America, um, really helps us stand out to the rest of the world projects that we're developing in Spain or Japan, for example, that, oh, you've got permission out of California. That makes, you know, life easier and people really believe you are green. Um, so we went in eyes wide open knowing, you know, it will be more difficult, but if this is going to be a good uh, badge that we can wear. Um, CEQA, you know, California Environmental Quality Act allows for what they call a mitigated negative declaration that if you have a project that has no significant impacts, um, they will give you a mitigated, a mitigated negative, negative declaration, which means you can avoid the, the, the year-long lengthy um, California um, the CEQA process. So they do have a mechanism within CEQA that allows a project like ours, and we were able to demonstrate that there are no significant impacts. And what impacts there were, we, we you know we treated in a conditional use permit, and um, so yeah, I think CEQA allows for it, and I think as long as people understand what the reg legislation states and the statutes allow for, um, it's it's a pretty good organization, a good a good act that allows you to move forward with it. Well, I guess if you get things done in California, you can do it everywhere. Um, Houston, maybe right. Yeah, we really are building a process where we can produce fuels competitively priced in the Texas market, for instance. I mean, Houston is going to be, you know, you're going to see a, a major energy transition slash evolution that's going to go on in a lot of those states um, where, you know, how do we get to a cleaner economy? And places like Houston are an obvious place because, you know, Houston and Texas and other states like Wyoming, uh, we know energy, we know how to transport energy, we you know, we there's a major market for it. There's a lot of professional engineers and people that know how to manage it. So you bet. So um, speaking of producing fuels, um, and you somewhat answered this question or part of the question, but which feedstocks can Raven process and what fuels can it produce? So, you know, it, our, it, it's, it, it drives my investors a little crazy sometimes because we can process so many different kinds of feedstocks. So it could be anything that's chemically organic. So plastics, recyclable, unrecyclable, biogenics like banana pills, uh, cardboard, plywood, um, you know, if it's chemical or seaweed, uh, you know, 
we can process that. Rocks, glass, metals, anything that's chemically inert, we cannot process. It can go into the system. We could, you know, you could have metal in our system. It won't break our system. It'll just come out on the biocarbon or the biochar and pollute that for uh, future, from preventing from future use. And then from there, you know, we produce the syngas. The syngas could generate electricity either through a solid oxide fuel cell or into a, a generator turbine. We can go to hydrogen, obviously. Uh, diesel, uh, we can go into um, uh, NAFTA, uh, jet fuel, we can go to um, methanol, ammonia. Uh, so there's a lot of options. So, you know, we could work near a port and provide fuel for shipping or provide renewable diesel, if you will, for somebody who wants to transition slowly from the current you know, fuels economy to the future fuels economy. So, you know, we can make a transition with the community that starts with maybe diesel and moves to hydrogen tomorrow. And all we have to do is change out a reactor. All right. So hydrogen, diesel, jet fuel, methanol. I mean, you have a pretty wide umbrella there, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's great. I mean, it's it's it, it makes for I mean, I think you probably have seen it. But, you know, we've signed MOUs with several airlines who want to buy jet fuel from us. The sustainable aviation market is massive. The hydrogen market is is nascent and growing. Um, so the opportunities are are very widespread and it's very exciting. OK, so when you talk about local waste to local fuel, does that mean eliminating the need for long distance pipelines? Absolutely. I mean, if you think about um, if you think about we're going to produce the fuel, I mean, you could think of the Houston airport, for example, and how far away are the are the landfills and that so we could produce the fuel at the landfill and move right into um, bringing the fuel to the airport there or, you know, we can produce the hydrogen fuel near to where the fuel stations are so we don't have to put hydrogen in the pipelines. I know that's always a very large concern. Um, you know, we have to think about how we decarbonize, you know, the entire chain. And part of that is eliminating a lot of the transportation as well. So by producing it locally, not only are we creating jobs, we're improving a local environment, we're treating local waste, but we're keeping the fuel as near as possible um, to where they are. Shorter the distance, the better, right? I, I, I think so. It lowers costs, right? I mean, at the end of the day, I think this is the other thing, right? We need to have clean fuels that are affordable. Uh, the transition is only going to really take place or the evolution is going to really take place as people can move into the new vehicle or to the new fuel as long as it's affordable. If you have to pay 10 or $15 kilo of hydrogen, that makes it very difficult for people to make that transition, right? I mean, when gasoline's five, five bucks, why would I, four bucks, why would I change? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense too. I actually even um even like storage is an issue. Um, I saw a presentation, mm -hmm. yeah, the other day, and and some of the storage costs were more expensive than the cost of producing. Does it make any sense? It, it and hydrogen is very difficult, right? Because I mean, you know, just to give you an idea, we're spending about thirty kilowatts of electricity for every kilo of hydrogen we produce, but that's fully compressed to five hundred bar. Fair enough. To end things off, Matt, um, you know, Raven is, you know, they tend to focus more, you all tend to focus more on, you know, uh, carbon intensity score instead of the hydrogen color spectrum. So would you explain your reasoning and how Raven keeps its emissions low? <laughs> yeah, you bet. I, for one thing, I think colors have just always polluted our language so often. I thought we, were, we, we should be getting past that in so many different ways, right? But you know, to suggest that one color is better than another color, 
Um, I mean, we have to think of the overall idea. I mean, we need to have clean fuels. Maybe, you know, that begins by in North America, starting with blue hydrogen, quote unquote, right, and moving there quickly because we can do it. But if blue hydrogen is evil, and we're only going to take quote unquote green hydrogen, um, then how will, will, are we going to actually slow that transition down when there could be a ton of abilities to get into a clean fuel that may come from a fossil based source that we don't want, but we can at least get there sooner and clean up the environment faster. So we like to focus on the carbon pathway, well, the wheel, um, let's just let that talk. You know, what is the carbon intensity of your fuel? Um, let that be the number. And if the carbon intensity is low, then give me a premium price. If the carbon intensity is higher, just give me an ordinary price and let the market work with that, right? Because if we try to put colors on it, we are creating an unnatural bias that's frankly not scientific. I mean, the hydrogen molecule doesn't know what color it is. Um, so why are we putting colors on it? So what we really need to think about is just carbon pathway. And that's where, you know, we, you know, we can strive to make that the marketable thing and people can, you know, a better you know you can buy a lower ci so because our process is you know electrically powered we don't burn anything so we you know we can produce our own electricity inside the fence um we don't have the emissions um we process multiple different kinds of feedstock that are actually contributing to greenhouse gases um gives us the ability to have low to negative carbon intensity on on our fuels whether it be sustainably efficient fuel or hydrogen um, so just the process alone gets, helps us to get there and by processing wastes and feedstocks that others can't um, opens up a whole nother world of just the availability and um, the uh, capacity to have a lower carbon fuel. Got it. So what's your favorite color? <laughs> Mine? I'm, I'm kidding. You don't have to answer. You don't have to answer that. I'm joking. <laughs> I went to Georgetown, so blue and gray. But anyhow, you know. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, no, that's all I have for you today, Matt. Um, unless you want to give some closing thoughts. No, I, I, I really appreciate the time, time Tyler. Um, I think what you guys do is really great there. And we're excited. I think we're seeing an acceleration in the in the transition or, or evolution that's going on in the energy field. And um, Raven is super excited and frankly impatient to get into the market as fast as possible so that we can you know, be a part of the solution. Um, I think there's a lot of really smart people out there and I have a lot of hope. I think we're going to see some really great changes happen um, globally that are going to just make everybody, you know, have a better quality of life while at the same time living in an environment that's cleaner. So I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today. Of course, of course. Um, thank you as well for taking the time to join us. And uh, thank you to the listeners for tuning in to another episode of H2 Tech Talk. Please remember to share and subscribe.